Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Long Shot Podcast. I am your host, Duncan Robinson, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Davis Patrick Reed. Davis, how are we doing? I am great. I'm really great. How are you? I'm good. Have we gotten hello and welcome on a t-shirt yet? No, no. I, I'm not going to take the blame for that, though. It's it's in discussion. Well, I think pretty much everything off the air, uh, the responsibility does fall on your shoulders. So <laughs> I actually don't really appreciate you kind of ducking blame in that moment. That That's a moment where I feel like you need to rise to the occasion. And whether or not it is your fault, you need to take accountability. I don't love the tone that we're starting this podcast on. But yes, the hello and welcome t-shirts are in discussion, uh, you know, so just stay tuned is all I'm going to say. I'm having this tone because I'm locked in, Dave. It's it's the start of training camp. Uh, it's the start of a new year. The 2021-2022 NBA season has arrived. Uh, training camp is fully upon us. And I just finished day two. We're recording this on Wednesday after recording our JJ episode on Tuesday. So I'm now two days through training camp. And uh, I got to say, it's uh, it's great to be back. All right, fine. You know what? I, I'll allow it. I now love the tone that this podcast got off to because you're right. The NBA season is around the corner. I'll say, I'll say this. We get into media day a little bit with JJ. We have an awesome conversation with him. But uh, one thing we don't talk a lot about is just the circus that it seems to be. Like Just from what I see on social media, there are so many people in the gym affiliated with the organization, right? Like it's Pat and the whole staff, and, but it's just so many bodies in the gym. Are you on a are you on a first name basis with uh, Coach Riley? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I call it well the God. He calls me the God. His Godson. He's the Godfather. Uh, but I figure on a podcast we'll go first name basis. I did, I wasn't aware that you guys were on a first name basis. Um, yeah, that, that was a very subtle just you know pat drop uh, that that I heard there. But I I, I do understand your sentiment in that. There are components to, especially the earlier days of training camp, and now it actually feels that way even more because we now have media availability back in person. So particularly as soon as uh, as soon as practice ends, they open up the doors and media is now allowed to be back in person, whereas last year it was entirely via Zoom. So if you had media, you would go downstairs, get set up on a Zoom. So now there's just a lot more energy commotion in the gym, uh, largely because of that. How many cameras did you need to like flex and yell into on media day? Um, not many. Uh, that those aren't really the uh, my obligations. That's not really what I'm tasked with. Nobody's really interested in in seeing that sort of thing. But I will say, uh, total vet move. I snuck in a lift before media day, and I had the option to do lower or upper. And of course, you know, I, I had to do upper. No uh, brainer. Just, just get a little extra pump in uh, before the cameras come on. Wait, you're telling me you didn't yell into a single camera? Because I've been to Heat games where they do like, you know, the intro video and there are guys yelling at the camera. When is that recorded? So Dave, this is actually, this is good because you uh, like, not that you're necessarily a common fan, but uh, you probably like most would not understand the complexities that is media day. There is an external media day and there is an internal media day. Ah, well, there you go. So the other day was external media day, which is all the the beat writers, all the national writers, uh, you know, whatever, all those people come in. We have an internal media day that it will be in the future, which we do all of the, uh, you know, the Jumbotron stuff and, and the different kind of like promos uh, that you see throughout the year. You explained that in a little bit of a condescending tone, and I'm not going to accept the uh, seasons around the corner excuse for that one. So I'm just going to just call it out as it is. But that is good to know. Thank you for that information. Uh, the rumor on the street is that you were the last guy dealing with the external media. I just think you're on year four now. Like You need to find a way to finagle your way out of these situations. I don't know why you're lingering around so long. Yeah, it was uh, – people underestimate um, – or maybe people don't estimate at all how long media days are, but they are they are really long, uh, and they tend to be pretty long. I was there from I got to the facility at ten. I did not leave until three thirty four, and yeah, that was 
that sorry i started my media circuit at 10 so i actually got to the facility at eight now i know that sounds like i'm complaining and the vast majority of the public works a regular nine to five right. and that's not yeah. even uh, a full work day but it's a long time to be answering basically the same questions and that's my only gripe with it i i really truly i i understand why it exists i understand you know as a as a league why we have the obligations that we do to go through that but the redundancy is definitely something that uh, grinds my gears a little bit i will say this is an interesting topic for someone like you it's it reminds me of you ever watched the hot ones with paul rudd where he talks about how he just has done so much press over his career he's been acting for you know decades that he just has these answers that he has recycled over and over again. And it's gotten to the point where he doesn't even really know if what he's saying is true or if it's just what he's memorized. And I assume you sort of get to that point. I, I assume you can relate to that in a, in a way. No, I actually, I love that Hot Ones episode. It's a very, uh, it's a very self-aware, nuanced point by, by Paul. And shout out to a Kansas City guy. Just yeah. wanted to shout that out, Paul. Right. Um, Paul and I are on a first name basis, unlike <laughs> you and Pat. Uh, no, Paul makes a great point, and I've actually experienced that. I, I remember watching that episode and thinking, uh, "Wow, that that really resonates with me." Because really, when it comes to my story, I just have, and, and it sounds a little uh, disingenuous to call it a spiel because it's not a spiel. Because I. I I mean it fully and I, and I try to say it from the heart, but I just say the same kind of things over and over again. Um, when I'm talking about, Oh, you know, cause I, I get like the same like four or five questions, right? Like, Oh, what was it like transferring from division three to division one? Oh, what was it like going undrafted and then trying to find a way in the NBA? And then I get other questions as it pertains to shooting and, and my routine and, uh, how many shots I got up a day. Like all, so all that stuff I've just heard so much that eventually not every answer is the same, but you, you grab little nuggets from, from each, each time you kind of go through it uh, and eventually kind of develop these automated responses for lack of a better term. I do think some blame is on the reporter for asking cliche basic questions, but I assume it's also just easier mental capacity for you to sort of recite the same things over and over. And that's where you need to be held accountable. I, you know, I want some creativity. Like there's nothing worse than in post-game interviews when guys are like, yeah, you know, it started with our defense and all credit to my teammates. You know, they put a lot of confidence in me. It's like, okay, I hear this every game. Like, give me something new. That was literally a Duncan Robinson soundbite that you just every, recited. Every single game. You know, the coaching staff, they instill a lot of confidence in me. I just, I go out there and I just try to do my job. It's like, all right, man, we get it. We heard that last week. <laughs> well, what do you want from me? What, what do you want me to say? Do you want me to stand up there and, and just go on a rant about, you know, how I'm, I don't know, the, the best shooter in the world? Like, is that what you want? I No, I'm not going to do that. That is what I want, but I would even take just honest breakdown. Like, just tell me about your day. Yeah, you know, the locker room was a little cold today. I don't love the socks I'm wearing. I think that put me in a weird mental state, but I battled through. You know what? And my shots felt good. A couple of them didn't go in, but that's, you know what? That's the name of the game. That feels outside of maybe the socks and the locker room part. That's just as cliche as right. any the end response. Was. The end was. Anyways, we uh, actually, prior to training camp, starting let's let's uh let's run it back a little bit you actually made a brief appearance in miami so why don't you you shine a little light on on what that trip was like we had a great time i did so you playing in the association you have some uh perks that come with that job uh one of which is when j cole performs at ftx arena the miami heat get tickets so you're a good friend you're a big j cole fan you know i'm a big j cole fan and you know that my brother is a bigger J. Cole fan than both of us. So you said, guys, I've got tickets. If you can get your way down here, we can go to the concert. So my brother and I made a 48-hour trip out of it. The main purpose was to see J. Cole. Uh, but there were some uh, long shot things in the work as well that made that, that justified the trip. I also don't ever turn down a, an opportunity to hang out with a friend. So yeah, we had a quick Miami trip. Uh, night one, we went to the facility the heat facility late night, got some shots up, got a little workout in, played a little full court one-on-one. -on -one. Didn't go well for me, but we don't need to talk about that. What I do want to talk about 
uh, about that trip is I got a little tour of the locker room. And what I learned is that you've been upgraded to the main locker room. You know, because of COVID, there has to be, things have to be spaced out. Uh, there's a there's some lockers in like the, you know, standard locker room in Miami, but then there's some other ones that have to be like a way to give everybody space. Last year, you were out of the main locker room. This year, you've got a big Duncan Robinson plaque. Uh, so it's been, a, it's a little bit of an upgrade for you. So congratulations. I just wanted to, to give you your flowers. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate that. Um, honestly, I, I, I sort of liked being in the other locker room last year, just, you know, really added to the chip on my shoulder. Um, you know, not, not to, not to say that that chip's not there anymore now that I'm, I'm back in the, uh, the other locker room because I was already there prior to COVID. So it's not like I, this is my first experience having that locker, but nonetheless, I, I appreciate you acknowledging that. Thank you. Yeah. And, and then we went to the J. Cole concert. It was amazing. First time I'd seen him live, he was unbelievable live. And let me tell you, he opens with 95 South and it just, it got the place rocking. It was unbelievable. No, it's a, uh, it was a great time. Uh, J. Cole is one of my, one of my favorite rappers, actually probably my favorite rapper. Um, but one of my favorite artists just in general, he also brought out Drake and future, uh, which, which certainly set the place on fire there towards the end. But, uh, but anyways, that that is a thing of the past we are locked in on on heat basketball now uh not that we weren't prior to to going to that but you know vibes <laughs> um anyways let's transition here let's go to our reddit question of the week what do we got yeah so uh, we're actually going to go a different direction in place of the reddit question of the week with the season like we've talked about being right around the corner you know the nba is notorious now for having a lot of off-season movement i thought it'd be fun with you to play around of who he play for 2021-2022 uh, free agency edition. So I Love believe it. I believe there's easy, medium, and hard. You are part of the NBA, so I'm going to make you do the hard level. And I believe what this is going to do is it's just going to shoot some names at me. I have this up on my computer. Unfortunately, we're not together. So I'll run it over here. It's going to shoot me a name that I will ask you, and you've got to tell me what team he play for. I believe it's going to give me six names. I want to, I expect six out of six from you. I'll do my best. I can't guarantee six out of six, but I, I promise above 500 that I can guarantee. Okay. All right. Well, here we go. Uh, first is Moses Brown. Moses Brown. I just saw this recently. Uh, Dallas. I think you're going to go. My guess is you're going to go 50%. You're going to go three for six, but Dallas is correct. That felt right. One for one. That's a tricky one because he he bounced around multiple times. He was in Boston, and then he ended up in Dallas. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm locked in. One for one. That was good. All right. This second one, I cannot believe that this is the name it gave me. George Niang. <laughs> uh, George. Definitely know where George is. George is uh, Philly faithful. Yeah. Uh, all right. For the 76ers. Two for two. Former, former long shot pod guest. And future. I think he'll be a recurring And future. Guest. Yeah, he'll be back. He'll be back. Uh, Sterling Brown. Honestly, I I don't think I know the answer to this. Um, I he, I imagine he probably didn't resign in Houston, but because I don't know if he did or didn't, I'll say Houston. I think because this is the free agency edition, all of these guys moved. I don't know if that's right or not, but I think. That's okay, the so case. do you have the answer in front of you? Yeah, I do. But you already right, then I don't, in no, I don't want to. I don't want to say Houston. That doesn't count. You, that was a caveat you should have told me on the front end. Um, give me something then. I will say, did he go? Oh, uh, Chicago? Incorrect. Dallas Mavericks. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did not know that. Two for three. Stayed in Texas. Two for three. Next, Trey Lyles. I actually, I do know the answer to this one. I, I remember seeing it. Um, Trey Lyles signed in. I this takes say, me to our interview with Mo, where he was like, he was like, I have no idea who anyone plays for until the season <laughs> yeah. starts. Um, I want to say it's Indianapolis. It is. Yeah, that felt right. The Detroit Pistons. Oh, it's Detroit. Yeah, two, I knew it was. I knew it was a Midwest team in the East. I knew that. I knew that. E you're two for four, which means right. these last two this are is a crucial. Huge one. This is a huge. huge. One. Tony Bradley. Oh, I know that one. Uh, I just saw this the other day. 
<laughs> He's on the the Bulls. I believe that is correct. Yes, it is. Yeah, he is a, he is a Chicago Bull. Three for five. All right, this is a huge one. Can you go over 50% like you promised? I did promise it. I'm a man who lives up to his promises. Shout out Kansas City. This last guy. Shaquille. Shimmy. Shimmy Ojale. Oh, no. Mocan guy. I know. Uh, Shimmy Ojale. He signed in Milwaukee? Correct. Milwaukee. Well oh, done. Man, I'm dialed in. I was, that was I pretty honestly, good. I honestly kind of impressed myself. That was a hard little yeah. list right there. That was I not mean, easy. Yeah, it was the hardest. That's the hardest level. That was pretty good. Four for six, I think, is yeah. respectable. I mean, it's, again, that. these are these are your coworkers, so it, you probably should have been five or six, but that's okay. Listen, it's a it's a very transient league. Uh, things are always changing, and for me to get four out of those six, granted one of them was a layup in George. Uh, yeah. Nonetheless, I will absolutely take that. All right, let's move forward. Long shot feature. Also, I think that's a website, right? So if you want to actually play that game, you yes. can go to whoheplayfor.com or what is it? It's it is uh it's I found this on Reddit. So actually, this is kind of the Reddit post. It's still the Reddit question of the week. It's who he play for 2022.netlifey.app. There you go. And there uh, you go. You can play who he play for. Shout out to Stephen No, N O H. Uh, this quiz was created by him. Love it. Long shot feature. This is a great one. Uh, we, were, we were thinking about doing this one for a while now. David Skins, after 16 years of trying to get his PGA Tour card, the 39-year-old won the Pinnacle Bank Championship last month by one stroke to qualify for the PGA Tour. Finally got his PGA Tour card, worked as a DoorDash driver just last year to make ends meet to help provide for his family. And now he is doing it big on the PGA Tour. Yeah, big time. I saw an article about him said he one-putted the last four holes of that tournament to win. So just talk about ice water in your veins. That's incredible to one-putt the last four and then win by a single stroke is oh, yeah. just next level. Big time. Uh, so shout out David Skins. We, we love a good long shot and you, sir, are certainly one. Anyways, we've probably taken up too much of your time anyways. <laughs> we should just get right to JJ. Uh, we had a great conversation. Our boss, our mentor, our friend. Here is JJ Reddick. Welcome back in to the Long Shot Podcast. You know, normally we uh, do a nice introduction for our guests, but this man needs no introduction. Uh, I'm sure many of you listeners know him quite well from his podcast, Old Man in the Three. Uh, just putting a, a nice bow on a 15-year NBA career. JJ, welcome to the Long Shot Podcast. It is a, uh, it is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you for finally inviting me on the show. This has been a long time coming. Uh, I, I felt like when we started having these discussions with you about doing the Long Shot Pod last fall that I would get an early invite. Uh, I consider myself to be a long shot myself, but apparently it took um, 30 some episodes to get an invite. So thanks, guys. <laughs> It's a it's a tough ticket. I, I will say, you know, we're very very strategic with who we choose to come on. Uh, and just looking at your resume, you know, Mr. Basketball in Virginia, McDonald's All American. I mean, you've been a legend from the jump. I don't know if you fit the long shot criteria. <laughs> right. If we're being right. honest, yeah. All right. Well, in my own mind, I've been an underdog. All right. In my own mind. <laughs> no, you absolutely have. Keep been. going, though. Keep going with the resume. Keep going. <laughs> going with the, all right. Uh, no, national, National College Player of the Year. Was that two time or just once? No, it was twice. It was twice. All right. It was yeah, twice. Twice. <laughs> three uh, three time All American. Yeah, three time. Yeah. Yeah. Three okay. Time. Yeah. And do you want to do you want to finish the rest or do you want me to? Uh... No, no, you're good, man. I mean, you could include some NBA stuff, but like you know, nothing as sexy as like you know. That that college stuff, but whatever, whatever. There's there's plenty of NBA stuff to include, but uh, obviously the the recent news being your your retirement. First off, I uh, we had like a little homage to you in our, our episode last week. I don't know if you you tuned in. Maybe you. Do, I watched maybe it you on don't. YouTube. I watched uh, it on YouTube. Fantastic. Very kind. Very uh, kind. I appreciate that. Um, but but we just enjoyed kicking around. You know some of your our favorite moments of you. I imagine when you you make a decision like that, and obviously 
so much went into making that decision, but there must be like a kind of a, a series of flashbacks where you look back throughout your career. And I, I'm curious of, are there maybe moments that stick out when you look back that your typical fan might not think of as, as maybe, you know, a seminal moment, but for you, for whatever reason, it's near and dear to your heart. Sure. Um, First of all, you know, in terms of the reflection, the reflection's been happening for a while. Um, you know, I was hurt a, a good portion of the season. Um, and as I said in uh, that video I released on, on on the day I retired, you know, I knew last fall that I wanted this to be my last season. And uh, so I, I've spent a lot of time sort of reflecting on my career. And someone asked me fairly recently, a few weeks ago, as I was sort of finalizing this decision, they're like, what what are you going to miss the most or what are you going to be most proud of in your career? And it's, it's, it's funny, Duncan and, and Davis, like it's not, it's not anything really on the court. You know, what I think I'm going to miss is, is teammates and coaches and staff collaboration. Um, you know, if you had asked me, what are the three things that like, what was the juice for you? What was the juice and like certainly shoot, shoot shooting a basketball, that's the drug, right? We get a little dopamine hit every time we see the ball go through the net. Like that's exciting. But the juice for me was three things. It was performance. There's nothing like playing in front of 20,000 people, especially on the road um, or at home if you have a good home crowd. But yeah. the performance part, the competition, like competing, like there's nothing above the NBA, Right. You know, it's it's competing like the competition. You told that story on the pod about me in a meaningless game in March or April, and I'm six minutes into the game, and I've cursed out three players. I'm screaming at referees, and I'm like, I'm all over the place. I'm running around, I'm sprinting off screens. Like, I loved competing. Like that's the that's that to me was as important as anything else. And and I could say like, in my career, like I don't remember ever saying to myself, I'm gonna take tonight off. Like, whatever I had that night, I gave. There wasn't times – now, maybe I didn't shoot the ball well. Maybe I made some mistakes dense defensively. But, like, you know, some nights you have it, some nights you don't. But whatever I had that night, I gave that night. And then the third part is what I just – I started this little uh, rant with, and, and that is collaboration. And that is, t- you know, camaraderie, like being a part of a team. And so those moments you talk about, like, yeah, like I'll look back on YouTube probably once or twice a year and be like, oh, I did that. I remember that game. Yeah, I remember that shot. You know, I remember that stuff. But it's like those moments in a locker room, those moments on a practice court, those moments on a team bus, on a team plane, the feeling, I I bring it to Miami Heat, like a great memory in my mind is game four against the Miami Heat in 2018. We come back, we win. I hit a couple shots down the stretch. But the moment I remember is walking off the court after the final buzzer and getting back in that locker room and sharing that feeling with the 30 or 40 people you just went into battle with. Like that to me was what I'll miss the most. And I don't know if you can ever replace that. You know, there's there's really nothing like playing a team sport at the highest level. That was to say that was a rant would be doing yourself a serious uh, disservice. That was a beautifully said soliloquy is what I want to call that. Um, I, I want to unpack the second thing that you said, the competitive spirit, the competitiveness night in, night out. You you played 15 years. You had seen, you have seen different versions of the NBA game. And when I talk to older players, and, and, and not so much you, actually maybe even players that are a little bit older than you, there's this classic, like, and, I, and this isn't demeaning, but like this old head perspective of, you know, back when we played, you know, guys were going at each other's necks. Back when we played, the personal matchup is what mattered most. I'm curious for you that recently, have you seen the league kind of stray away from that competitiveness. I, I think an example of it being somebody like Jimmy Butler, where where he has run-ins in, in with certain organizations, is that is that kind of like a uh, 
Like, are you guys a little bit of a, a lost breed, would you say? Or, or is that not fair to say? I, I, I'm not going to speak negatively about any generation of player. Um, and I, I'll actually say, I've mentioned this a few times, but the guys coming into the league now are so much more skilled than the guys coming into the league when I first came in in, in 2006. Um, the resources that guys have in terms of skill work and personal coaches and personal trainers, that's only going to get better and better and better. We think about overtime elite or the G League elite, the, the, the personal training and the attention to detail, the footwork that guys have. I watched a clip on Instagram the other day of this 11-year-old with like James Harden footwork. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> I, to answer your question about the competitive spirit, I think some of it, honestly, is social media. What is, in my mind, someone being competitive can be misconstrued in another way. I honestly think guys are competitive on the court, but I, I do think some of the stuff I saw early in my career, fights, like, I, dude, I got in three, three or four fights in practice. Like, Hidu Turkle used to pick on me. And I, would, you know, we go at each other, and then like I got in a scuffle with Carlos Arroyo. I got in a scuffle with Brian Gr Cook. Like you, you don't hear about that anymore. The Jimmy Butler Minnesota Timberwolves Timberwolves practice. The fact that that leaked that fucking day. Come on, man. Like that's that shouldn't happen. So I think some of it is like I'm just gonna like do my skill work, and I'm gonna go try to be the best version of myself, and. I'm going to try to win, but I, there is some like hesitancy to completely push yourself all in, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it does. And I appreciate you saying that because I, I do think that all I know is within the last three years, I'm going into year four. So all I know is within the last three years, but I do feel like once I step onto the court, the competitive back and forth and, and, and that kind of dynamic still very much exists. Granted, I have nothing to compare to. Um, but I, I was just curious of your perspective on that. I want to take it, shift it back to more about you. Cause this is all about you. You know, this is your, your interview here. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> how do you, we, we've touched on this, this, I don't want to say maniacal, but like this ability to go to this, this dark place to compete. Mm. How do you, navigate that and still be a sensible uh fantastic father husband friend how do you go about doing that because you i think you do it do it beautifully honestly since you've known me i've done it pretty well um kids change you um i probably wasn't the best version of myself prior to becoming a father um because that maniacal pursuit takes its toll and it does. And I'm not just saying it takes its toll on me and it certainly did, but it takes its toll on the people around you, your wife, your friends. Um, you know, when, when you're so focused on a singular thing, uh, it can wear on the other people around you. I, I think that's part of the reason that I knew it was time because like, this like this scale, this balance scale, you know, if it was if it started up here, you know, as I started having kids like this side started weighing more than this side. And then all of a sudden I'm 37. I'm 15 years in. My body's failing. <laughs> I still love to compete. I still love to play. But it's like um, I don't know that I can still do that approach. And if I do that approach, I can still play. But if I don't do it. And I would rather do this 80% of the time, I'm not going to be very good. And so like for me, I had to have that approach. And, you know, I, I look back at like, go all the way back 11 year old AAU days. <laughs> I was fucking like that. I was a psycho then, you know, I, I and, it, and so I, it's, it's, you do it for long enough and it takes its toll. It took its toll on me and, and your kids, my kids, at least my kids have mellowed me out a little bit. And in life, that's a good thing. But between that and father time, maybe it's, that's when I sort of realized like, oh, 
I think it's I think it's time to hang time time to hang them up. As someone who retired from basketball after their sophomore year of college, I feel like I have a lot of uh, things to say here that can yeah. be directly relatable to you, JJ, because it's the same thing. Uh, the hardest thing is, on a serious note, was defining who you are after basketball. Because, you know, for me, I was only 23 or whatever at the time, but my whole life had been basketball. Your whole life is basketball. But like you said, to have these other things to fall back on, family, you know, these other values, it just, I assume, makes it a lot easier. I think an interesting thing with you is you kind of have the opposite trajectory of Duncan. Uh, you were like the villain asshole in college, and now you're like one of the most beloved guys in the league. Everyone loves you. No one has a bad thing to say. Duncan's been like the underdog, like sweetheart as a as a rookie. So I'm hoping he actually does the opposite and kind of becomes the asshole. I actually see it though. I think you're I think you're spot on. I think that that well the innocent is me, like aw shucks guy. <laughs> you know, Jimmy Neutron or whatever the fuck yes. that cartoon character. Like, I think that was all really cute. But the true <laughs> Duncan, the true Duncan will show himself more and more. Money changes people. That's the uh -huh. thing. Money changes people. By the way, Davis, I just want to say, uh, this is for the YouTube viewers. It's a dope-ass bomber you got on. Hey, Old man of the three bomber. You guys need long shot. We'll get the long shot bomber soon. Yeah, I, I read the long shot bomber you. soon. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I want you both to know that I will continue to be humbled because now that we have Markeith Morris, uh, my full time name is Jimmy Neutron because I've, <laughs> oh, I've no. actually I've actually recently found out that he was the linchpin behind the whole Jimmy Neutron thing. He was what? the one he was pushing it all. He came up to me before a conditioning test and he was like, hey, I just want you to know, like, it wasn't Dwight. It was me the whole time. <laughs> it was me wow. the whole time. Wow. It was it was an incredible moment. I I was like, I was speechless for a second because like that that really took off. And now all I hear is Jimmy Neutron. Um, but anyways, yeah, it was. It was How'd you do Morris. on your conditioning test? I assume you passed it. I did. I did. I Congrats, uh, man. I was I was well prepared. I appreciate that. I've, in uh, in all your years with the Heat, all four of them or five of them, however long it is now, five. Yeah, five. Year five. Yeah, because I saw the Instagram post. Year four, um, actually. Well, technically year five, though, right? Tech, well, no, year four. I had a two-way year, and then this is my third year. It's all right. Okay, all right, all right. But have you ever have you ever failed it? I have not. No, I, I mean, not not that we need to like totally. I mean, we can't get into it, but it's basically like if you train for it and prepare for it, you will pass it. Right. The okay. only the only issues that people run into is if they just try to show up and, and run it. Then it's then it's really challenging. Um, I had this massive wine dinner that I hosted. Uh, this is pre-pandemic. This is like 2019 that I invited Jimmy up for. It was like late September. It was like right before I went to New Orleans. And he thought about coming, but then he explained to me that the conditioning test was the following day. And he was like, I just, I don't, I don't want to risk it. I don't want to risk it. <laughs> yeah, that that would be putting yourself in a in a tough spot for sure. As well conditioned as, as Jimmy Butler is, uh, it, it would have been a challenge. JJ, I was just going to quickly ask: Is the Miami conditioning test like lore in the NBA? Like, do are people aware of it? Because within the Heat community, I think it's like this this mysterious thing that everyone talks about. It's like part of the heat culture. You got to pass this conditioning test. Is it common in other places around the league or is it really like a different bar? I, in the NBA, the conditioning tests in general are not that hard, hard. And I've had teams that did conditioning tests last year with the Pelicans. We had to do a three minute run basically as touch as many lengths of the court as possible in three minutes. And based on your position, you had to get a certain amount um, I didn't really train for it. I'm gonna be honest with you, but I, I made the test the first time, you know, it was fine. Nice. The thing about the heat conditioning test is there's all this lore about it and I'm not even sure it's that hard. I think it's, I think it's part of this heat culture PR right. machine that gets churned oh. out year after year. And I fell culprit to aiding and abetting that heat cult, that heat culture PR machine last fall. I will admit to that. Mm. I was going to say, at one point, Old Man in the Three was just a full-blown Heat podcast. We, having, there, were, there were accusations of that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody thought that that was going to be your off-season move. You know, find your way to Miami. I wish it happened. Honestly, I really did. What is the Heat conditioning test? 
Oh, he won't I, say. I don't know if I. Yeah, I think it's a responsibility of mine to to continue the smoke and mirrors behind it all. I, I really do. Uh, you know, the only thing I can tell you is it's uh, it's tough. You know, it's real tough. <laughs> Super tough. <laughs> yeah. I want to bring it back to OG JJ Reddick podcast. I remember listening to a podcast of yours. I was getting on a flight to Ann Arbor and you were talking about a moment where you were going out to dinner with, I believe it was your wife's family. Yep. And the next day you knew you had to guard James Harden and you kind of talked about this this kind of struggle of being trying to be present, trying to be a, a great husband, while also trying to, of course, on the back of your mind always is having to guard James Harden the next night. And just the challenges, I, I think you highlighted it as like this, these are some of the challenges that we face as, you know, human beings that are also professional athletes. I'm curious, is that now like somewhat of a of a burden off your back? that you now feel that that's no longer the maybe the stress and anxieties that come with playing at a high level and performing at a high level, as wonderful as it is, because like you said, there's nothing like it. Is that something that you feel has been a, a weight that's lifted? Definitely. I'll recap the story. Basically, my wife's family was in town. It was a Saturday night. We had a Sunday afternoon. We had like the Sunday afternoon ESPN game against the Rockets. This is when I was playing for the Clippers. We went to this Mexican restaurant in Manhattan Beach. And like I thought I was talkative. I, apparently I wasn't because when we got home, my wife was like, what the hell were you, you know, what, what the hell was going on at dinner? You didn't speak to anybody. You were off in another world. And I said, I've got to guard James Harden tomorrow. That's all I could think about. And... When people talk about expectations, I've never felt expectations or pressure from expectations from the outside world because I was always placing that pressure and those expectations on myself. And that, that, uh, you know, the byproduct of that is that you're constantly sort of dealing with performance anxiety. It's a real thing to not have performance anxiety for the last few months and, and certainly for the last week or so. It's been a huge burden. It's been a weight lifted off my shoulder. I felt this incredible sense of of freedom on Wednesday. Even though I'd made the decision 10 or 12 days prior, I felt this incredible sense of freedom. And and 100%, it, it felt like a little bit of a burden. Now, that's not to say I know how I'm wired. I can already feel it coming back. I can already feel that <laughs> pressure to perform and do in something in terms of your yeah. golf game well yeah yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> now I, you now I, you gotta I, break 80 i put these goals on myself for golf to get my <laughs> handicap down and to post certain scores and no i think in in life i i will always put that pressure on myself i will always want to be i will always want to be doing something that matters uh in some way maybe not to other people but I want to be doing something that matters to me that I can find those three things that we talked about earlier. Like that is so important to me to find that competition, to find that aspect of performance, maybe not performing on a stage or per performing on a court, but some aspect of performance anxiety and some aspect of collaboration. Those are the three things that matter. Yeah. I mean, we're joking about golf, but I don't know if either of you caught the the Steph Curry, Michael Jordan interview at the Ryder Cup. And Jordan has a great explanation as to why he loves golf, which is basically that it's the ultimate competitive sport because it's it's you against you. You're playing yourself in a mirror. And we're, we're joking, but it, it seems like you've really picked up your golf game. <laughs> I've, I've gotten better. I've got a ways to go. I... I'm seeing a coach once a week here in the city. Uh, I spent some time with him this summer. He also teaches at uh, the club I'm at, I have uh, a membership at. So I'm spending some time with him. To Jordan's point, I think you stopped a little bit short of, of Jordan's. I don't know if he, I didn't see it, but the full explanation of golf is this. Golf is the ultimate competitive sport because you could play alone and you're competing against yourself in the course. You could play with a buddy 
with no stakes and you're competing against yourself and the course. You can play a match and you're competing against one other person, two other people with something on the line. And it doesn't have to be a lot, but it could be five bucks, it could be 20 bucks, whatever it is. That's why golf is so great. It's just, it's, it's so competitive. There's, in, in basketball, I could go, I could go shoot shots today and then go play pickup. And there's not really going to matter. Like nothing's going to matter. There's no consequences to it. But in golf, when you see that handicap going up or down, there's consequences to it. That's a number. That's a real number. I walk around with that number, a little halo standing over me. And when I see my friends that golf, I look them all up. Believe me, I save all the golfers I know. I go to their home courses. I type in their gin number. I find them. I save them. I know exactly what their handicaps are. They got a little number above them too. And I'm competing against them. Believe it. <laughs> I think that says more about you than than golf, JJ. Um, hey, I want to, I knew this conversation was going to get to golf, so I'm going to derail it. Um, I, so you speaking of performance anxiety and pressure as an NBA player leads me to something I wanted to ask both of you guys about. With media day this week, it's like everything I see on social media and Reddit and all this, it's vaccine you know, it's, it's talks about the vaccine. You guys now as players have this added pressure, not just to perform, but to be like advocates and using your platform to speak on pretty serious issues. And I just want your guys honest opinion. And JJ, now that you're out of it, maybe you can, I don't know, (laughs) dunk, dunk, I don't know. You're in it. So, you know, you're getting asked these questions and you know, JJ, you were too, just a short couple months ago, but it's almost like it's unfair, right? Like you guys aren't doctors. You guys can obviously use your platform to speak about what you care about, but it's almost like there's an expectation now to go sit at the you know post-game conference and talk about how everyone needs to be vaccinated. I just think it's, it's very strange for me to see that all over my timeline. Whatever the opposite of anti-vax, I'm that person. <laughs> I, am a, I am a vax, pro-vax, whatever, I, to the nth degree. But I, let's just be honest here. Yesterday was an unmitigated disaster for the NBA. Worst fucking media day in history. Like yeah. so much dumb shit was said. And then you have Carl Anthony Towns giving this impassioned talk about all the shit he's had to deal with from family members, including his mother dying of COVID. Like, what are we even fucking talking about here? It was yeah. ridiculous. It was ridiculous. I will say this to your question, Davis, is a great question, by the way. Up until two years ago, March, 18 months, March 2019, as an NBA player or a professional athlete, it was your choice to use your platform to speak on something. It was a choice that you could make. You could be quiet. You could be LeBron and talk about a number of issues and use your Twitter, and start a school, and all that stuff. You do all that stuff. But in the last 18 months, that has shifted. You're obligated now. Unfortunately, but you are. You're obligated. I think at some point, in a different sort of environment, maybe when there's not a global pandemic happening, maybe if we get some of this fucking shit with social justice figured out, and we can make some progress there, and the political turmoil sort of dissipates, maybe we won't be obligated to talk about those things. But for whatever reason, now we are. Um, And it's disappointing. It really is disappointing when guys are not, I would say, guys are not um, fully informed and then are obligated because they get asked and they have to answer it and they give bad answers. Bad answers. It's frustrating. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll start by reiterating the fact that this is very much a, a pro vaccine podcast through and through. <laughs> um, so I'll, so I'll, start, I'll start by saying that. Um, I, I think, JJ, you, you, you made a, a variety of great points, but I think that the challenges lie within, particularly as we're talking about a vaccine, the misinformation and where people are, are being selective over what they're tapping meaning into and what they're deciding to be their truth. Um, I, I think that the Carl Anthony Towns 
example is is really all that that needs to be said. Uh, and and honestly, it was it was encouraging to hear that. I guess there were a couple players on his team who had some hesitations, but then ultimately, I mean, I, I would hope um, ultimately ended up deciding to to go through uh, with getting the vaccine because of his impassioned stance uh, on this issue. Which which of anybody in the association he. Uh, deservedly should should have that that platform to speak out the way he does um yeah i actually i agree with with also also what you're saying about the the obligation i know that i have certainly felt throughout the time in the bubble um and and really since i've felt a personal obligation and and that's not even talking about the external kind of pressure that, that you feel uh, naturally, but also just personally, uh, the importance of just kind of, of drawing a line on, on where I stand. And for me, a relatively introverted person, I know that might sound weird considering I have a podcast, uh, but, I, but I also do very much like to have, you know, compartmentalized parts of, of my life. Um, it's, it's been a challenge in its own right. But with that being said, I think JJ is absolutely right in that there is there is an obligation for players really whether we like it or not in a lot of respects i i, I think the ob- I, to davis's original point in question I, the obligation is completely unfair yeah like we should go back to having a choice and if we don't want to talk about something we shouldn't have to talk about something that's not the world we live in right now that's not the world i mean i'll give you another example like there's been a bunch of stuff that's happened in the last 2 years in the world that i know nothing about I know nothing about, and these things will happen, and uh, you'll see it on social media. Where are all the NBAers, NBA players speaking out about this? JJ, what do you have to say about this? I'm like, I don't know anything about it. Why would I speak? I, I'm not an expert in this. Field. I'll go read about it. I'll try to educate myself, you know. But like, I don't. It's it's a weird sort of environment that we're we're, we're navigating right now, and and unfortunately, like, we have to do it in real time. Uh, or, you know, for current athletes, they have to do it in real time, but I had to do it for the last 18 months. It's tough. Davis, uh, Davis brought up media day. How much do you miss media day? (laughs) (laughs) My, uh, my, my homeboy that, uh, that works in the NBA. I, I, if I say the team, everybody will know who I'm talking about, but I had about 30 minutes between picking Kai up from school and taking him to tennis yesterday. So I took him to the playground and he was, you know, doing his thing. And I called him and I was like, I'm not, there's not gonna be a long conversation. I just want to tell you one thing. My takeaway from today is that I'm so fucking glad I'll never have to do another <laughs> NBA media day again. It's not even just the media stuff, Duncan. It's the production. Yes. It's, yes. Please hold up this sign. There's a great photo of me from my second media day ever with the Orlando Magic. I'm laying on my stomach, smiling up at the camera, (laughs) playing with a toy tank. Why? (laughs) Why did they make me do that? (laughs) Why did they? What what is that for? I I think it was for some Toys for Tots campaign. But like, again, if you want me to do something for Toys for Tots, that's great. But do I have to do that? Do I have to do that? <laughs> That's it's actually a great thought. That now I want to I want to ask you. We've talked about what you're going to miss. Give me some other things that you're not going to miss. <laughs> oh yeah, I like that. All right, I would never disparage any city, but being in a hotel room in Cleveland in February, <laughs> the night before a game, and just being like completely not because of Cleveland, but just a random NBA city, just being so isolated and alone away from my family. I won't miss that. I won't miss that. Well, what else? I I won't miss training camp. Training camp always felt a little silly to me. Um, Especially if like, if you were on a team with a bunch of guys coming back, I won't miss preseason games pretty much after my, like after my third or fourth year preseason games were, were just, it wasn't, wasn't the same. They weren't as meaningful to me, even though they were competition. Again, I'm 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 contradicting myself a little bit here, but preseason games didn't matter, right? It's it's sort of it's the equivalent of playing in an AAU tournament, making it to the final four of a tournament, and then making you play 
for consolation third place. I didn't win the championship. I really have to keep playing. <laughs> I don't want to third do gets you hardware. Well, <laughs> fourth, you don't get any hardware with fourth. Third gets you a bronze. I, well, the AU tournaments I was going to were not handing out gold, silver, and bronze medals. But <laughs> my uh, my AU coach used to call it like when you'd lose in the first pool or whatever, and you got put in like the the second bracket. You call it the kiss your sister bracket. You know, make you feel better. So so I'm going through training camp right now. I'm curious. I, I remember texting you. I think it was last year. Maybe it was two years ago. Um, and just texting you talking about how like I I legitimately could not make a shot in training camp and it it was very heartwarming to hear you (laughs) rebuttal and say that you've never made a shot in any of your training camps (laughs) which is definitely hyperbole but it's it's funny to me uh, you know we had we had training camp today you know the start of it and uh just year in and year out i still go through you know you would think maybe this year i feel a little more solidified whatever comfort i still go through this like mental struggle of like overthinking analyzing missing shots in training camp every year i do it every year it's wild i'm gonna give you a piece of advice that i once gave tj mcconnell and this was in my first training camp with the sixers by the way i went down and played pickup that september in three days of pickup and five days of training camp my shooting set percentage was probably eight (laughs) like probably four for 50. (laughs) <laughs> in preseason games, I shot 67% from three, but I told him this. I said, TJ, he was so upset after the first two days of training camp, so upset, so worked up. And I went over to him. I said, TJ, can I tell you something? In 15 years, when somebody pulls up your basketball reference page, and they start sorting through your stats. They start looking up. Do you think there's going to be any stats in there from your from your training camp shooting percentages? Like, why are you getting worked up about your training camp shooting? It's all about a rhythm. You know this, Duncan. It's like, all all I want, because I, I didn't play a ton of pickup in the offseason. I, I barely played any pickup at all. I just worked on my game, uh, worked on my body, and worked on my conditioning. Those are the three things that I did over and over and over again. And all it was for me was rhythm. The, the timing of getting off a shot, the timing of coming off screens, the timing of doing a little hand-to-hand combat with your defender, that's all I was worried about. I didn't care about the result. Once the real game started, I certainly cared. Uh, but it was just, let's get to that point where I got that rhythm, I got that timing back. I, I feel for TJ because in year 13 or whatever it was, 12, when, when you were telling him that, uh, you were at a significantly different point. You know, you'd already <laughs> right. you'd already built up the equity. You'd already, you know, you'd already proven what you were capable of. At that point, I'm sure TJ was very much like myself when I first, you know, had my first crack at a training camp where you just live and die by every single shot. So in that story, I actually found myself uh, resonating with TJ's side of it far more than you. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. A little PTSD there, I'm sure too, from your first couple years in the league where you're trying to find your place and your career literally could hang in the balance of a make or miss so i i understand i understand that pressure and i'm not belittling tj at all the point was if you listen to every detail that story i I said i was empowering tj because i said in 15 years when you're your career's done in 15 years and people look back on your career and they start pulling up your basketball reference page your shooting stats in training camp are not going to be in there. All the other good shit you do, because you're going to play a long time, TJ. All the other good shit will be in there. Okay, that see that that I like. Because okay. yeah. at that point, if you were telling me that, what would be going through my mind is that <laughs> you wouldn't be looking at my stats on Basketball Reference. You'd be looking them up on EuroBasket. You know, like <laughs> that's where you would have to go to find my stats if I don't make a fucking shot in training camp. So your little sentiment uh, is irrelevant. Uh, Anyways. No, but he's you're we, past that. He's past that point now, right? Yeah. I mean, you're, yes, Duncan. Yeah, I mean, you, well, he's got equity in the bank. I, I don't know if yeah. we've ever talked because you you've ton, you've come on the the old man and three a bunch. I don't know if we've really talked about this, but I, I felt this in year fifteen that pressure as a shooter. It's different. It's a different pressure. The expectation of making shots, making open shots, 
um, it's 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 a it's a really hard thing to work through, and it's a really hard thing to carry at all times because every time you step on the court, that's the expectation, and guys like me and you, all we're trying to do is just get a little bit of space. Nobody's giving us space. So we're trying to, we, you know, a skill is to get that space. We've talked about that a ton on my podcast, just getting that space and then having that sort of clear mind to go make a shot. But that pressure is always there. You carry it with you as a shooter. Always. And that's, it's actually one of the things that I was going to ask you about. You kind of touched on it, uh, but does that ever go away as you get old because i i and it, it doesn't obviously you kind of uh, said that but i haven't experienced it diminish at all if anything i've, I've actually now and, and this is once again an incredible luxury to have and it's a privilege to have but now i actually almost experience it even more because of the mm. expectations um, but i actually fall in a similar camp to you or at least i try to of that my own personal expectations like i i hold such a high standard of myself that whatever external expectations might come about kind of you know pale in comparison to to those um but it seems it it does not go away am i correct in that it never goes away but i'll tell you how why it gets a little easier because as you go through your career and you build up that equity those external pressures are all always going to be there. Those internal pressures are always going to be there. But as that equity builds, the confidence and ability to bounce back from off shooting nights is so much easier. It's so much easier because you've done it. And it's not about, I know you talk about this all the time as well, and I've touched, talked about this a ton. By the time you get to year seven, year nine, year 10, year 12, your routine and your work is so ingrained that the ability to just sort of shrug off an off shooting night and move on to the next one and just trust that routine and trust that process. I always used to say, I told this to Tim Hardaway, but this was like a break. This was like a big turning point for me in my career. The Clippers was the first time that I really got like shots, you know, and I was, I was taking threes. I was, you know, taking whatever, five or six a game. And I just, I had this mantra of like seven for 12. I told Tim Hardaway Jr. this this year when I was his teammate. It's like this mantra of seven for 12, like off shooting night. How do you bounce back from that? All I would think to myself is the next game, if I get those same 12 shots, I'm going to make seven. There's no way I'm not going to make seven. Today was the anomaly. The next game is seven for 12. And you just move on. And obviously, there's games you shoot 5 for 12. There's games you shoot 8. But it's just like, or I think it was 8 for 12. 8 for 12. Sorry, 7's in my mind for some reason. But 8 for 12. 8 for 12. And I think that equity, that confidence, that trust in the routine, that's ultimately how you navigate that pressure of being a shooter. It's it's almost eerie to hear you say that because people ask me a lot, how, how do you bounce back from slumps or whatever. And so much of this, I, in fact, like you're a huge mentor to me. So I've taken from you in in other ways, but that is almost my exact response every time in that eight eight for 12, not the eight for 12. (laughs) (laughs) So not exact response, (laughs) almost exact. Uh, but, but more so in that the power is the routine in that you basically get it. So you're doing the same things every single day. So, you know, in any given game, you can't necessarily control that you're going to go six for 10. I actually do 10, uh, six for 10, four for 10, three for 10. Like I always think of it this way too. Like shooting is so fragile that, you know, if you go three for 10, you're terrible. And if you go four for 10, that's, that's 40% on high volume. It's, you know, world-class or whatever. Um, and if you go five for 10, that's a great fucking game unbelievable yeah it's very fragile which is so stupid because two of those misses you know probably felt great and just as easily or maybe should have even gone in so to get bent out of shape about a three for ten game and then like come back later at night and and shoot and once again this is me not coming at people who do that i i did that i used to do that at high school there's nothing wrong with it it's just 
this idea that you now have to supplement your work with additional work <laughs> as if the work that you did beforehand wasn't enough almost. But instead, exactly what you said, I'm hijacking your answer, is just keep the same thing every single day. Have your routine the same as the routine that you do when you wake up in the morning, brush your teeth, whatever it is. And then you throw the three for tens out. That's the anomaly. Not not the five for tens, not the six for tens. The guys that shoot after games when they have a poor shooting night, keep that same energy when you have a good shooting night. That's exactly. all I'll say. I'm agreeing exactly. with you completely. Just keep that same energy. Exactly. Make that your routine. Don't make that your routine. You have to trust the work. This is going to be a fun episode for people listening and not watching because they can just close their eyes and guess who's speaking between you two the entire time. It's going to be awesome. People say Duncan sounds like me. I just don't. I I like. I would read the YouTube comments sometimes. They're like, Duncan sounds like JJ. I'm like, no, he doesn't. I do J- see that too. He's a J- masshole. He's a masshole. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was actually going to go the opposite. I was going to compliment you. I was going to say you're much more eloquent, but then you decided to <laughs> to bring up the masshole comment. I was actually uh, born in Maine, uh, not from Massachusetts, but uh, nonetheless. It's all the same. Um, it's all the same. It is kind of all the same. Once you get up there in the Northeast, they're all just kind of jumbled together. Uh that's pretty much all we had for you. Davis, you got anything else? I mean, I know you. I'm trying to be conscious of your time, JJ, but I do want to quickly ask you. I posted a video the other day on Instagram of me shooting uh, in Miami's practice gym, and uh, you came at me for it being more of a push shot than a jump mm. shot. And I just wanted to know, are, are you spending your time overanalyzing people's jumpers a lot, or was that like a singular event? I... My Instagram feed has a lot of basketball content on it. I think that's the first time I've commented on someone's <laughs> jump shot. I don't I know would say we... this too. I would say this too. Duncan, correct me if I'm wrong here. So you really shouldn't shoot at the very top of your jump shot. Now, some guys do. Doesn't always turn out what great. Um, some guys shoot on the way down. That usually turns out horribly. So you're supposed to shoot on the way up. Uh, but it's like more towards the top. Davis's shot, it's like almost an exaggeration where he pushes it out there and then jumps. You know what I mean? It's just the timing's just a little off. The mechanics are a little off. <laughs> JJ, I, I just want to say uh, these disparaging words about his jump shot. I mean, this kid had your jersey. This kid had your <laughs> pictures of you on his wall. You were I'm broken. You, I'm broken. You were the end all be all of, of a young Davis Reed. Hopefully one day I can be like JJ Reddick and here you yeah. are. Just yeah. Just you if know. you want to portray me as an asshole, that's fine. <laughs> in my defense, in my defense, when Davis or you guys, when you guys posted Davis's mixtape earlier last season i was i gassed that up i really gassed i put like 93 premium gas in that thing i put it out on social i made some comments all very positive i was very impressed with his game extremely gifted alley-oop passer to willie collie stein that's a fact Um, and and look i like it's like my my golf swing it's not always about how things look right thank you there's no, no picture, here, there's no there's no pictures on the box score. Well, here's there's the no issue. I don't really, box score. I don't really have the results to back it up either. That's the thing. <laughs> but no, you'll I mean, you'll experience this, JJ. That I don't shoot anymore. Yeah. So you got to understand. After like ten NBA threes, I can't feel my shoulder. So mm-hmm. it's really just taking everything I have to get it to the rim at this point. I've shot three times since the season ended, two of which were at the um, Sag Harbor Park. The other time I was, uh, well, actually it's four times because two times were with my kids at Sag Harbor Park. One time I was a little blazed and had had a few glasses of wine and played horse against <laughs> these teenage high school kids. They were awesome. I had to be on my A game. Luckily I made like 17 out of 20 shots and beat them, but I, I was down to the last letter. Uh, and then the fourth time was recently on a farm, uh, this place called Hank's Farm in Watermill, New York. Take my kids there, apple picking. You pick. There's a pumpkin patch. There's apple cider donuts. It's a great time. This year, they put up an outdoor basketball hoop there, and I thought I'd get some shots up. 
and I hadn't touched a ball in several weeks. Uh, and again, this is now four months of really not shooting, and um, I could not make a shot. My first four shots hit the backboard. Like I, they say, it's like riding a bike. Apparently, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, there's so many gems in that. First off, the image of just two random high school kids getting pulled up on by by <laughs> JJ Redick and playing horse. It was it, at a wine dinner in somebody's backyard. He warned uh, me ahead of time. <laughs> I, I, I kind of forgot, and I. Smoked a little bit on the golf course. Like, whatever. It was fine. It was fine. <laughs> I beat them. That's all that matters. <laughs> I'm not then, buying uh, it. I think JJ singled them out. I think yeah. the story's getting tweaked. Um, anyways, I, I actually agree with you. Davis does have a little bit of a push shot. Um, just oh, come on, to, to go back on my earlier remarks. Anyways, JJ, we don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, we really appreciate you you coming on. Uh, and, and we're definitely going to do this again, hopefully in person. We'll, we'll really uh, get the dynamic going. Yeah, I'm looking forward to an Old Man of the Three long shot pod crossover in person episode. I do want to say your your guy's show is awesome. Keep putting out great content. I love listening every week. I, I watch pretty much every breakout YouTube video as well because you guys, your delivery is fantastic. Uh, so thank you guys. Duncan, enjoy the rest of training camp, man. Very excited for you. No, I'm thrilled. No, we're just uh, we're just over here trying to make our bosses proud. You know, that's pretty yeah. much all we're trying to do. <laughs> <That's right. so. laughs>